The following episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television. Good morning, USA, and welcome to another episode of the Bernie or Bust Show. So here's an article from The Atlantic by David Karp. Bernie's easy path has closed, but the harder path is better. Sanders can still win, but piecing together a majority means delivering the new voters that his supporters insist he can inspire. David is associate professor at George Washington University. Winning the Democratic presidential nomination should not be easy. Wow, David, that unchallenged assumption just leads out your article there. So if that unchallenged assumption is false, does the rest of your article fall flat? I would say a good reason for the Democratic presidential nomination to be easy is if there's a consensus, a broad consensus, that the candidate is saying and doing the right things, and no other candidates are. In that case, perhaps it should be easy. The only reason I can think of for you to say it should not be easy is because you don't want Bernie Sanders to run away with it in a landslide. Could be, David, you have a hidden agenda there. Could be. Maybe I should make that unfounded assumption in opposition to your unfounded assumption. But be that as it may, David says winning the Democratic presidential nomination should not be easy. Before South Carolina and Super Tuesday, Bernie Sanders had two ways to prevail. The good, long path, and the bad, short path. The latter path, finishing first in primaries by holding on to his base on the left while several other candidates divided up the moderate vote, has now closed. The good path, to piece together an outright majority one way or another, has become much more difficult now that the field has thinned. It's also difficult, David, because of voter suppression. It's also difficult, David, because of outright election fraud. Super Tuesday and South Carolina election fraud. South Carolina, Biden gained 8.3% over exit polls. Massachusetts, Biden gained 15.7% over exit polls. Texas, Sanders lost 11.8% under exit polls. The UN considers these percentages to be suspect for election fraud. So apparently the DNC agrees with David that winning the primaries shouldn't be easy, and this is their answer. But anyway, according to David, the good path is to piece together an outright majority one way or another, fraud notwithstanding, but that path has become much more difficult now that the field has thinned. I wonder why the field thinned, David. But if Sanders is willing to take the steps necessary to win this way, it would be healthy for him and the party alike. So what we're insisting here, David, is that Bernie should take the healthy way, the uncorrupt way, even though he is flying in the face of untold corruption. For supporters, let's probably assume that David is not one of those, the case for Sanders' electability goes like this. His policy proposals, and he personally, are broadly popular. He can expand the electorate by appealing to disaffected young and working class voters, and he won't lose much support among Democrats because the party is united in its eagerness to vote Donald Trump out of office. The part that he's not saying is that the disaffected young and working class voters never show up to primary elections. They never have and they probably never will. Primary elections are decided by older affluent voters. It's interesting that there's a link inserted into his Atlantic article, Derek Thompson, Why Do Such Elderly People Run America? Because elderly people come out to vote in primary elections. Only two weeks ago, Sanders appeared to be the overwhelming favorite to secure the nomination, but that wasn't a sign of majority support. 
It was because of how a quirk in the party's rules for awarding delegates interact with the front-loaded primary calendar and the large number of candidates. To qualify for delegates at the Democratic National Convention, party rules specify that a candidate must earn 15% of the vote within a congressional district. If a candidate receives anything less, those votes are wasted and all delegates are apportioned among the candidates who cross the 15% threshold. These rules encourage a robust nomination battle when only two or three serious candidates are competing, but in a race with seven or more candidates, the rules favor the one with the most dedicated supporters, even if they don't come close to making up half the voters. Oh, I guess dedicated supporters don't count, eh, David? We'll see about that. When it comes to electoral leverage, those same dedicated voters are going to force your hand. After the Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada contests, Sanders was poised to capture 70 to 80% of California's enormous haul of delegates while earning only a third of the votes. Earning. He might have won an insurmountable delegate lead. Oh, no! without ever showing he could build a majority coalition within the party. When has anyone ever built a majority coalition within the Democratic Party? Of course, we all know what happened next. The field cleared at the 11th hour. I wonder how that happened, David. For Joe Biden after his South Carolina victory. Tom Steyer, Pete Buttigieg, and Amy Klobuchar all dropped out of the race in quick succession. Buttigieg and Klobuchar joined dozens of party leaders in endorsing Biden, making the former vice president the clear anti-Sanders candidate. You fail to mention, David, that Barack Obama is the one who made those calls and got that to happen. Biden won 10 of 14 Super Tuesday states. Votes are still being counted in California, and plenty of early votes were effectively wasted on candidates who dropped out or failed to qualify for delegates. They weren't wasted, David, because they didn't go to Biden. But Sanders' bad path, the short path to the nomination, has been foreclosed. You can just see David. Woo! The good path, according to David, to the nomination for Sanders is one that forces him to deliver the popular movement that he and his supporters believe he can inspire. His detractors see little evidence that Sanders is bringing new voters to the party, and they fear that his rhetorical broadsides against the Democratic establishment will depress enthusiasm among core Democratic constituencies, a.k.a normie, affluent, white mostly, suburban Democrats. They wonder whether he can withstand the negative advertising and skeptical media coverage that general election campaigns bring. They worry that baby boomers, the most reliable voters, will panic when the election is framed as a choice between socialism and capitalism. Wow, David, that was a cheap shot. The most reliable voters will panic. Why don't we just say that their privilege is what's causing them to panic because they think they're going to have to give a smaller piece of pie to themselves and a bigger piece of pie to everyone else. Poor baby boomers, they're going to panic. But if Sanders, in fact, can generate record primary turnout among young voters, that would be evidence that he could expand the electorate in November. If Sanders' popularity remains high when faced with a negative ad blitz financed by Michael Bloomberg or some other wealthy donor, then Democrats can be more confident that he'll survive a barrage of Republican ads. If Sanders can steadily win converts among core Democratic constituencies, then party members can be more confident that the party will enthusiastically unite around him in November. How about this one, David? 
if we can scare the shit out of the baby boomers and make them vote for Bernie because they know that we'll take it away from Biden in the general election, then maybe we don't even have to worry about all your bullshit. How's that one? The question to ask now is how Sanders will pursue this harder, better path. He could treat the 2020 race as a replay of the 2016 contest with Joe Biden standing in for Hillary Clinton as the establishment figure too cozy with billionaires. But you wouldn't want that, David, because if Joe Biden stands in for Hillary, the swing voters in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin will give it to Trump again, just like they did last time. Think about that, David. But David says this strategy is unlikely to work well. As we saw this week, Democratic voters have grown wistful for the Barack Obama years. The Barack Obama years. The 2020 primary is defined by Democrats' desperation to end Trump's brazen corruption, cruelty, and incompetence and start repairing the damage he has caused. Hmm, how shall we fix that damage? Let's see, maybe we should get Joe Biden, who has a D- on his environmental record. That ought to do it. Not to mention he can't string three sentences together in a row. Or even three words. Sanders will likely fare better by drawing a contrast with Biden's own foibles. The former vice president is on his own bad path to the nomination. Political handicappers had good reason to count him out after poor performances in Iowa and New Hampshire. He has not built a campaign apparatus that can win in the fall. A lot of his debate performances and campaign stops have elicited more cringes than cheers. Many would now crown Biden the presumptive nominee without him demonstrating that he has the agility and acuity as a campaigner to thrive in a long, grueling general election campaign. He needs a thorough test of his own. He has to withstand months of scrutiny as the frontrunner and make sure voters and party leaders don't develop a case of buyer's remorse. Had Elizabeth Warren stayed in the race, she would have forced Biden and Sanders to sharpen their campaigns. Ah, now we know where David's coming from. And made a credible nominee should either or both of them falter. With her withdrawal yesterday, Biden and Sanders may both be tempted to assume they can win votes as the lesser of two inadequacies. Are you calling Bernie Sanders an inadequacy? This is all a smokescreen. Whether he intends it or not, David's article here is going to give us Donald Trump. And if that doesn't bother him, then we can see where he's really coming from. I don't know why people won't just come right out and say where they're coming from instead of doing all of this dancing. I think we need to leverage the shit out of David. I hope he watches this show, but that's not very likely, since almost nobody watches this show. But dear viewers and listeners, we can change all that. Anyway, Biden and Sanders may both be tempted to assume they can win votes as the lesser of two inadequacies, especially because the election is likely to be close. The Democratic Party courts catastrophe by choosing its candidate based on a technicality. Democrats should be glad that Sanders can no longer seize the nomination without thoroughly making the case for his candidacy. Holy fuck, David. What do you think he's been doing for the last 40 years? They should hope that Biden is forced to prove his mettle through hard-fought contests in the months to come as well. This year, the shortest path to becoming a presumptive nominee is also the riskiest. We'll see about that. But one thing's for sure, the Bernie or bust leverage would solve the problem right now and we'd have Bernie as the presumptive nominee and then you'd have to eat crow. So let's see what Sahil has to say about it this morning.
Sanders hasn't been uh, unavailable to the press. He, he, he does a lot of yeah, interviews in town halls. Biden, um, uh, the other end of the spectrum. He's more, more careful. He's been he's more careful. He's very careful. Yeah. And it feels, I mean, even today he was he was at a rally and I think spoke for a total of seven minutes. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I sort of think of him as like the George Costanza of, of the campaign. Like, leave him oh. on a high note. Go in, make a joke, get the, you know, get the crowd applause and then leave before he can say anything. Why, he's avoiding doing anything that's going to be a gaffe? Is that it the idea? It seems that way. Yeah. I mean, he's been real reluctant to face the media does that so this is step one all right this is step one now it's funny he says george she says quote george costanza as uh this dude uh, brian stelter kind of looks like george costanza <laughs> but uh anyways so this is step one here in that uh you know she's not out there saying oh yeah he has dementia or neurological issues or whatever this is step one right you don't immediately you're not immediately going to get them to start talking about how he has dementia right step one is like oh wow hmm let's start asking some questions why is it that joe biden refuses to speak to the press and i was reporting on this a long time ago in new hampshire where he hadn't spoke to the press in like a month or something like that but he refuses to speak to the press he refuses to do any public campaign events or anything like that but bernie sanders is like yeah i'll go on uh, he's doing like all three Sunday Sunday shows or something like that. However many Sunday shows he's doing, I think it's three, and so he's doing everything right. He does these interviews, and all of Joe Biden's interviews are edited, bro. If you watch them, they do so many splice up cuts to make him seem coherent. It's disgusting. And if you watch like Bernie's interviews, they're always like uh, they're always just full throttle, you know. And they're just clean and normal. Uh, she, he's all. So he goes on to talk about this strategically, which is useful. I say you should watch this video and see what else he has to say. But the point is they're trying to cover up Joe Biden's cognitive decline. CaitlinJohnstone.com Dear America, please stop this nonsense immediately. Love the rest of the world. And what, dear viewers and listeners, is this nonsense of which she speaks? Joe Biden nonsense. Hey, America! Rest of the world here! How's it going? How are the kids? Are you still making those Marvel movies? Those are fun. So, I know you don't like us to bother you during an election year, but all the people in all the other countries in the world have been talking, and there's just one teensy-weensy issue we wanted to chat with you about, if you don't mind. Um, so like, are you guys really gonna do this Joe Biden thing, like for real? Because you know, far be it from us to ever interfere in your electoral process. Perish the thought, please don't sanction us. But we couldn't help noticing that you appear to be getting ready to run an actual literal dementia victim against the current occupant of the White House who actually seems quite delighted about the matter. Now, of course, we all fully support and adore your wonderful reality TV star president. He certainly keeps things interesting. But we thought that maybe he would be, I don't know, more of a phase? Like not something you planned on doing for another four years? Because you see how he's already repeatedly mocking Mr. Biden's non-stop neurological misfirings? We just wanted to give you a friendly tip that there is exactly zero chance that that's going to get better and 100% certainty that it is going to get much, much worse. If you allow the Democratic Party to successfully install Biden as the nominee, your lovely president is going to make sure his undeniable signs of cognitive decline dominate all news headlines every single day until November. That will happen. Trump's attacks on Biden's mental deterioration are going to get worse, and his dementia probably will too. New video footage of his latest episode of forgetfulness, confusion, or inappropriate behavior has been surfacing on what seems a daily basis now, and that's certainly not going to improve. 
One day he's saying Super Thursday and forgetting Obama's name. The next, who knows, maybe his next stump speech will see him accused of plagiarizing the letter jumble in a bowl of alphabet soup. Trump will use the bully pulpit, as he always has, to manipulate the hyper-reactive mass media into talking about whatever he wants them to talk about. And what he will want them to talk about will be his opponent's vanishing gray matter. He will do this constantly. He will do it until Americans are no more likely to vote for Biden than they would be for someone screaming about UFOs on a street corner. Please don't do that to us, America. We just want a world that doesn't get destroyed by climate chaos or World War III or the total collapse of civilization. We just want to live, damn it. We just want to live. What's wrong with that other fellow running for president? The old guy who's just trying to give you the same societal safety nets we've all been enjoying for generations. He seems okay, and as an added bonus, his brain isn't committing harikiri inside his skull. We can see that your media's brilliant solution to Biden's most obvious and glaring weakness as a candidate has been to ignore the story completely or to tell people their eyes and ears are lying to them about what they are seeing and hearing. This Washington Monthly article that's getting shared around a lot by imperial narrative managers, for example, decries what its headline calls the disinformation campaign being launched against Biden, saying things like, there is no data to support the allegation that he is in cognitive decline. And his doctor declared he is a healthy, vigorous, 77-year-old, fully capable of taking on the role of president. You should check out the Glenn Greenwald tweet she links to here. The article tries to spin people's organic observations of unedited footage of Joe Biden struggling to maintain verbal and behavioral cohesion as some sort of coordinated conspiratorial plot instead of just people talking about what they are hearing with their own ears from the mouth of the Democratic Party's anointed establishment pick. It cites supposed experts who neither directly address any of Biden's specific recent mental failings nor give any indication that they are even aware of them. It also contains the following problematic section. The only test that hasn't been done is the cognitive functioning test, Olshansky added. But the fact that he's on the campaign trail and meeting a rigorous travel and meeting schedule probably would suffice as a replacement for the formal test for cognitive functioning. He said that cognitive tests are typically not required unless problems are detected. To be clear, this article saying Biden's cognitive functioning has not been tested is being passed around to assure people that Biden does not have cognitive functioning problems because Biden is performing so outstandingly on the campaign trail. This isn't going to work, America. You will not be able to beat Donald Trump by telling them that they are imagining signs and symptoms of dementia that are clearly and unquestionably there, no matter how many think pieces and op-eds you churn out telling people that they are horrible, ageist, ableist monsters for seeing what they see and hearing what they hear. Please do whatever you need to do to stop this nonsense and ensure that Donald Trump winds up running against someone who can, at the very least, string sentences together to form complete thoughts. Thank you, and please don't bomb us, the rest of the world. I watched this whole show redacted tonight last night, and it's wonderful. I hope you watched the whole show too, but let me just give you a few tidbits. The mainstream corporate media and the DNC set up Super Tuesday perfectly. 
They spent the five days before the contest trashing Bernie Sanders in every way they could come up with. I don't know about you, but by the end of it, even I was pretty sure Bernie fathered a love child with Fidel Castro and Lyme disease. It was a menage a trois. It was... By Tuesday, mo much of America thought Bernie was actually just like a cor the coronavirus wearing a Larry David skin suit. <laughs> So the media trashed Sanders while simultaneously crafting a narrative that he was going to win every state. That way, when he didn't win every state, it looks like he lost huge. But in fact, he's like 60 delegates behind Joe Biden right now. But still, how did Joe Biden do well when he had little money, almost zero ground game, a horrific record, more sexual harassment claims than a male bra salesman, and a lack of control of one of his eyeballs. How did he do well? Well, let me tell you a little bedtime story called How to Manipulate a Primary Election. Let's start with voter suppression, kids. In one of the biggest states with one of the biggest delegate prizes, pre-election day polls were showing that Bernie Sanders, aided by Hispanics, burst into the lead in Texas. So what do you do if you're the Democratic establishment and the fucking Hispanics are messing with your shit? According to The Guardian, they closed hundreds of polling sites, making it very hard for minorities to vote. Even Salon.com called it voter suppression, plain and simple. Texas closed hundreds of polling sites in black and Latino areas. And statistically speaking, Hispanics are hard workers who have to, you know, show up to fucking work. Meaning they don't have three hours to stand in line at a polling place counting how many times the guy behind them burps into the back of their head. And when they finally get to the front of the line, they don't have another 30 minutes to convince the poll worker that a provisional ballot is not the same as a regular ballot. And it wasn't just in Texas. Here's real video from a Los Angeles polling place this past Tuesday. So you're going to say, right here, you're going to tell all these people right now that a provisional ballot is the same as a regular ballot. You are wrong. You are lying, sir. That guy is absolutely right. A real ballot is counted the day of the election or maybe the day after. A provisional ballot could maybe possibly be counted three weeks from now, but more likely will disappear into a puff of smoke. And that's why California poll workers were told to hand out provisional ballots like they, 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 they were free condoms at a high school. They're like, yeah, take one, take five, take, use two at a time. You never know how many times you might want to feel like you voted. That's right, folks. Super Tuesday was rigged for her pleasure. Take your time on some of these, I'll wait. I'm pretty sure I used that same joke a couple of years ago, but it was worth it. I think it was worth it. I have to write hours of this shit every week. Jesus, why do you have to go so hard on me? Get it hard on, hard on me? I am throwing out gold here. No one cares. Sorry about that. But that's not what our dumpster fire corporate hack-filled media will tell you. They will tell you Joe Biden is the comeback kid. After a mere 30 years running for president three times, he's finally ahead in a primary. However, don't get upset. There was one massive win this week. Let me start with my headline tonight. I'm retiring. This is the last hardball on MSNBC. Oh, that feels so good. This guy. Hold on. This guy. 
Just gotta rub it on myself here. Hold on. Actually, let's bring up the big board. Ah, there we go. You know how some people have deer heads on their walls? I have talking heads. And now, let's add our latest in there, our latest victory. There we go. Oh, God. Yeah. That feels like orgasming while eating ice cream. But dear viewers and listeners, let me remind you, if Bernie or Bust doesn't prove to be enough, there's more we can do. I have never used or bust to mean what this guy is talking about, but let me tell you, or bust could be a lot more violent and ugly than I've been mentioning in this show. This is a letter to the editor from the Billings Gazette. It's called Bernie or Bust, Milwaukee. Let me tell you what is going to happen in Milwaukee in July. Bernie Sanders will win the primaries in over 35 states. He will have the massive lead in the popular vote. He will not reach a plurality of delegates because of massive voter suppression and out-and-out -out fraud by the Democratic National Convention. I think he meant to say he will not reach a majority of delegates. The convention will go to a second ballot and Bernie will bend the knee and throw his support behind the corporate tool or oligarch that the DNC decides should be the chosen one. And this is not incorrect. That's what he did last time. This is very likely to be true. The DNC has not added one thing to this equation. There will be three million people who are willing to lay siege to Milwaukee. The siege will not be about Bernie. It will be about trying to take back what is left of our so-called democracy. The money hoarding psychopaths have got their way. They have the people fighting over the scraps. Guess what? This time around, we are coming for you. I have a personal message for Bernie. I am probably going to vote for you. I am not voting for you because I trust you. I am voting for you because you may be able to bring a critical mass of the people together. You betrayed us in 2016. You betrayed your ideas in 2016. You betrayed yourself when you put your support behind Clinton and did not destroy the Democratic Party. I have no forgiveness left. That is why I will be in Milwaukee, not because of you. Franz Sphere Valier. So, dear viewers and listeners, that's what some people feel like doing. And if you would like to help me scare the normie Dems into not allowing this to happen, please help share this around because this guy sounds serious to me. And finally, don't forget to take the Bernie or Bus pledge, bernieorbus2020.us. And after you take the pledge, please share this around. I just signed the Bernie or Bus 2020 pledge. Please share if you have too. HTTP colon slash slash BernieRBus2020.us Get on board the Bernie or Bus train. Come get on board the Bernie or Bus train. Once you hear that clickety-clack, there ain't no time for turning back. Oh, get on board the Bernie or Bus train. The preceding episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television.